Amen. Well, I'm honored to be here, and of course, uh, just absolutely Dr. love Dr. Fred, and just being back and uh, being with you all here. It's uh, uh, here around here. It's uh, the, the first week of classes, so that's exciting, right? Uh, um, honored to be here. I came here well over 20 years ago now. That makes me officially old, I believe, all right? I think I've made that that uh, that mark. I, I think it's, uh, but I'm still running on Jesus. Come on, right? So that's a good deal, right? Uh, I remember being in the same position as all of you over 20 years ago. Broke, right? Absolutely broke. That's why nobody gave out the $10 that, that Dr. Fred had mentioned this morning, right? Absolutely broke. And, and you know when you're broke because your favorite words are free and sample. You know, I'd go to the grocery store just to, to follow the lady around with all the new free samples out that she was just giving out to everybody. You don't even remember that, probably. Uh, they used to do that at grocery stores, by the way. Uh, but here, I love my experience at Elam, and God showed me so much, taught me so much, prepared so much in me uh, for, for ministry while I was here, and it's a pleasure to be with all of you broke people here today. Um, it, it, listen, it doesn't get any better. I got five kids, and I'm still broke, all right? So I'm just, just saying. But even if we're broke, we can, we can still pay attention. You catch that? That was, that was pretty bad. But listen... Listen, we're going to get into it this, this morning, and um, uh, you know, I, I believe that I have something specially for you here this morning, and uh, I'd like to talk to you about when opposition hits. If you look through the life of Jesus Christ, you're going to find miracles, amazing teaching, and experiences, but more than anything else in his life, you're going to find opposition. It started when he was merely conceived in, in, in his mother's womb, that, that opposition started uh, for his life. If Mary would have been punished uh, by, by basically having this baby out of wedlock, right, uh, then guess what? Could have been punishable by death, right? After that, he was born. King Herod sends all his thugs into Bethlehem, tries to take him out that way. Uh, you know, you skip through his life quite a bit, but when it's time to go into ministry, what's the first thing that happens after he gets baptized? He gets brought into the wilderness where he's opposed by Satan, and he fights a battle before he's launched into ministry. Listen, he went all throughout the towns of, and villages of Galilee preaching the gospel and a message of repenting, repentance. Healing came. He was dropping pearls of wisdom that touched everybody to their core. People didn't have health insurance back then, but, but Jesus was like the best health insurance. You just go find Jesus and you're, you're cured, right? I mean, people, people didn't have education as much back then, but man, if you listen to the words of Jesus Christ, I mean, you just come alive from them. Jesus... He was, he was amazing. He was constantly doing good. Acts 10.38 says that, that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who came to him, all who were oppressed by the devil. And here's what's crazy. They crucified him for it. And so here's the thing that I want you to know. You can do as much good as you can do in your life, and you can go after this thing. You can have a kingdom vision. You can set yourself up to really make an impact for the kingdom of God. But guess what's going to happen? opposition. It's going to happen. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You can, it's going it's to happen. And, and you're not going to be able to get away from that reality if you're actually making headway for the kingdom of God. Maybe you already experienced that in your life. I'll guarantee you, though, you're going to face a lot more opposition in your life when you, when you start to, to really, really, really come into your own in what God's called you to do. 
You're going to have to settle in your heart that the injustice of getting reviled, maybe gossiped against or misunderstood or criticized, that's going to be par for the course in ministry. Just letting you know that. I mean, I told you that I'm getting old. You got to be careful when you say, I surrender all to you, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the church has taken some of my hair. All right? Just saying. Never expected that to happen. You got to be careful when you surrender it all to the Lord. All right? Never know what you're going to be giving up. That's all I'm trying to say. But Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, a.k.a. opposition is, is inevitable. But he said, take heart because I've overcome it. See, opposition is unavoidable with the kingdom of God. But the question is really, how will you handle it? I don't know if, if, if this year especially um, is, is going to be as bad as last year, but I, I can remember last year, I, I had to go out in my backyard with my son. He loves machetes, and I, I had my machete. And we had to, yeah, don't worry, it's all safe here, okay? Actually, I got this machete down in Mexico from dear brothers and sister uh, in the Lord, uh, David and Becky Snyder, they're missionaries down there, love them so much, and uh, I've gone on some mission trips down there, visited them, I, I bought this down when I was there, and, um, but it came in handy because, you see, we have, um, we have kind of a, a neighbor that, that their, 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 their back field touches in on our, our, our property line, and so what happens is all the brush kind of starts to creep into my yard, right? And, I mean, I feel like I'm under attack every, every springtime because, I mean, it's just piling in. I can't keep up with this, right? And so my son and I, we're out there. We're, we're shaving down this, this brush pile with these machetes, all right? And I've learned whenever you're preaching, don't actually do the motions because you just never know. I, I, once, I once used a fishing rod with a real hook on it, and I, I went to cast it. I, I went right towards a lady's face, and I had to pull it back before it hit her. I said, just be careful. That's just a little tip. All right? But, uh, so don't, don't be swinging around any machetes. All right? It's, all right? it's good. But, um, but you know, the, this brush pile, it was, like, it was like it was just it was attacking our property, and we had to take care of it. My son Hudson and I, we, we were out there like, like William Wallace, you know, just taken down like these enemies. I, I love, like, those types of movies, like Braveheart and Gladiator, all that kind of stuff. It's just like, ugh, like, you know, just like, man, like, but you know what? And what I came away with, I came away with that experience of attacking my brush pile with a blister on my hand, and it hurt me. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, if this is, if a little blister is going to keep me back from, you know, I held on to a machete for about an hour, I could never be about like the guy that we're about to read about in the Bible. And I want to invite you to look with me in 2 Samuel 23. It's a little story about opposition. And it's one of David's mighty men. And it says in, in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10, and next to him, next to David, among, among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Elohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword and the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain now his hand it says it it clung to that sword what 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 what, what happened there I mean if, if I, I couldn't do that all day like that I mean if a little blister is going to take me out I'm not going to be taking out any enemy forces right but we'll just leave that there for now and think more about Eleazar one of David's mighty men 
One of the greatest traits in this brief description of him right here as a mighty man is the determination that he had to stand against the enemy no matter the cost. No matter when everybody else was running, no matter when everybody else was fleeing, he stood his ground and his hand clung to the sword. So when everybody else wants you to stick up for righteousness while they hide behind their moral platitudes, the question is, will you cling to the sword? <laughs> will you be the man or woman when opposition comes, when everybody else wants, wants you to take care of the difficult situation so that they can go about life all comfy and cozy? When you help someone through the garbage of their lives and that they've created only them to have them kind of do you dirty or leave your church, opposition will press in on every fiber of your faith. But it's there for a reason. It's to give you a greater determination and a greater resolve in Christ than what you can do yourself. The Bible records that in this great battle, Eliezer stood with David, that his sword actually, again, clung to his hand. In other words, his sword became a part of who he was in that moment. He was fighting for so long. That battle was, it was so hard. He could not let go of the sword even afterwards when he tried. His hand was stuck in that position. And today, as I said, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about when opposition hits your life, will you cling to your sword? Will it become a part of you? Or will you be like everybody else and run? What do you do when you're under attack? You either run cry or you clear up in the fetal position and, and hope that everybody just runs past you, right? No, not at all. Now let me explain. Not everything that we go through in life is, is necessarily an attack. I think sometimes in, in our Christian circles, you know, we can hear things like, oh, the enemy's attacking me, you know, all this. We kind of blame Satan for, for everything. Now, listen, the Satan's got some schemes, man. I'm telling you, he'll try to take you out absolutely, but I don't, I'm not convinced that everything is an attack. And if you believe that your theology is going to be off, your understanding of who God is and how his kingdom actually operates is going to be off, if you just blame everything on Satan. Real force, don't get me wrong, but you got to be careful in that, that, that line because I hear that all the time. There are times when God actually tests you in life. And so sometimes you're blaming the enemy when it's actually God testing you in your life. And him allowing there to be opposition in your life. God doesn't need Christians who talk big but act small. You can talk a big game about Jesus, but when your faith, where's your faith really at when, when you're in the fire of the trial? Consider Job. God allowed the devil to mess up his life, didn't he? I mean, that's, that's what happened, right? Some would say, how could God do this? Ultimately, adversity can, can create bigger opportunities. It can grow you into greater spiritual maturity. As for Job, his love for God really was based on his own self-righteousness. You see, he wanted to have this conversation with God and really defend himself. God, why would you allow all this stuff to happen to me? This is who I am. This is my righteousness. I love you, God, all that kind of stuff. And Job was a little bit more in love with his own righteousness than he was with God. Because when we put our righteousness first, what happens is we're saying, God, we're actually equal with you. And none of us, none of us are righteous. We need his righteousness. That was the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross for us, was his righteousness imputed to us on our behalf, right? It's faulty thinking 
when we think that our righteousness deserves something, but yet so often, man, when we go through the trial, when we go through something, we ask those questions and we start to get all up in ourselves and think about the injustice of why is this happening? God, I've done this for you. I've lost my hair for you. What is going on, right? Right? And, and so not every calamity and adversity or tribulation in your life is caused by some grievous sin either. That's also bad theology. Look at somebody and say, stop thinking that all the time. All right? I'm not saying that their sin doesn't have consequences, but sometimes we go through things and we think that God's mad at us or he's punishing us or whatever, right? You can't be critical and negative to your spouse for 25 years and expect that your marriage is going to be all good and all that kind of stuff. Listen, there's consequences for our lives if we're treating people certain ways or we're allowing sin in our lives. Absolutely. But we got to be careful that we don't just automatically think that something's wrong or that we've done something grievous to God because there's adverse in your life. God allows adversity in your life to grow your faith. There's a universal law that says from God that you reap what you sow. We don't always like that law, but you sow bad seed, you get bad fruit. You sow good seed, you get good fruit. That's kind of how God works. And so I encourage you, sow as much good seed as you can in this season of your life so that you can reap it later on in your life and continue to, to sow that seed in that way. But ultimately what I'm saying is bad things do happen to good people as well. And it's not necessarily God's punishment on your life or some secret sin that you don't even know about. That was Job's friend's theology. They were constantly chirping at him and saying, Job, you, there must be something. There must be something. You've done, the, you, you know, and, and they're kind of knocking him down and all of that, right? But at the same time, Job was attacked by our great adversary, Satan. And we too can get attacked in this life as well. We can face that kind of opposition as well. There are all kinds of attacks that we can endure in our Christian faith. It's possible that somebody that you love, maybe a friend or a family member, is, 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 is really sick. And that can just feel like that's opposition in your life. Maybe certain relationships have gotten all jacked up, strife or jealousy sewn into those things. And man, it's just like, just, just, just blowing up, right? Maybe someone's been insulting to you or, or gossiping about you. I'm sure here today that there's those that are going through emotional, even mental health stuff, just that, that's just depression and some of that anxiety and all that kind of stuff. We can get attacked and we can go through things, right? And, and, and all these attacks on our bodies, our souls, and our spirits are, are not easy to walk through. But we do not need to fear the enemy's attacks because as we go back to our story here, there's a few principles that I just want to glean from in this moment where he clung to the sword. And the first one is you have to suspect the surprise. You got to suspect it. Honestly, church, I think too often we're surprised by the enemy's tactics in our lives. We get surprised when the, the enemy does something or, or we realize that there's some schemes going on. We, we think to ourselves, I'm taking steps with Jesus. I'm serving Jesus. I'm going to Bible school. I'm dreaming about his kingdom. And then wham, issue upon issue, conflict upon conflict, hurt upon hurt just hits you and lays you out. And we think, God, I'm doing the, all of this and why am I getting hit like this? Why am I getting this opposition in my life, it's not easy. 
It's not easy. The apostle Paul reminds us to, to be, not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Eleazar and David were not surprised by their enemy that day. Everybody else ran away, but they, they stood the ground. They saw the Philistines coming. It says they defied them. They reproached them. They said, oh, no, not, not in my house. You're not coming across this line. And, man, I'm telling you, God is raising up a day in you right now, in this day, uh, people who are going to have a holy tenacity that says, uh-uh, not in my house, not in my church, not in my community, not in my land. But you have to partner with God in that and not do it in your own efforts. Listen to what Jesus said. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The reality is God has placed you and will place you in specific parts of the world to stand up for his righteousness. And just like Jesus' life, he walked through it. opposition after opposition. You're going to face it too if you're trying to extend this thing we call the kingdom of Jesus Christ around the world. Jesus didn't pray that we would not encounter evil and the enemy here in this world. He prayed that we'd be kept from the evil one, that we wouldn't be tarnished by that, that we continue to set our faces like a flint and move forward this kingdom initiative that he's called us to. In this battle, we also, too, must resist the retreat. See, David and and Eleazar, they were the only two guys that did not run away. And what did God give them that day? He gave them a great victory, didn't he? And sometimes I wonder, I look back in my own life and, and wonder to myself sometimes, man, I probably ran away in that moment of my life. I, I retreated a little bit. What kind of victory would God have given me if I would have stayed and I would have fought that battle out? You know, you live, you learn a little bit, you get some experience along the way. Sometimes it's easier just to give up, just like the other Israelites did. They saw the Philistines that far outnumbered and outmatched them. They withdrew to live another day. Well, maybe, because here's the deal. If it wasn't for Eleazar and David, those Philistines were going to keep coming. And they would have had to keep running. And that's the thing. At some point in our lives, we're going to have that kind of holy tenacity to stand up and face whatever battle God has called you to face in this life. Eliezer resisted running like everybody else did. And sometimes it can get extremely lonely fighting the battle. It can get really lonely. Sometimes it's those who are, are supposed to be on your own side actually begin to attack you. You're going to have to face that as well. Jesus encountered that in Nazareth. It was his hometown. He knew everybody. Everybody knew him. He came back. He read the scriptures, and he gave a real small message just saying this has been fulfilled today. In my presence, with me being here, these words of Isaiah, I'm fulfilling right now. And for it, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Man, talk about a hometown you know, you know, coming back to your hometown, what, what a great welcoming party they had, right? Talk about that, wonderful. One thing that concerns me these days, that there are a pretty good number of Christians who are really happy to attack, attack, attack one another. You see it all over the place, all the time. And it's amazing because we start justifying our opinions over the love of God in our lives. And so what it's doing is it's separating even more the body of Christ. 
And sometimes God is calling us to fight that battle so that we actually start to unify the body of Christ again. Instead of making our own little kingdoms and our own little worlds. We're not called to retreat. We're called to be a catalyst of transformation of the world by the spirit of the living God who lives inside of us. The gates of hell will not prevail when you stand. Paul said, stand in the day for the days are evil. Paul went through quite a bit. Just one one story that he goes through in Acts chapter 14 and 19. he He came into the Ephesus area and some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they they stoned Paul, the scripture says, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I mean, talk about surrendered life. I'm I'm complaining about losing my hair. Paul was losing his life by being stoned, right? Uh, But when, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, he entered the city, and on the next day he went on on with Barnabas to Derby. Paul was not done yet. And here's the thing. Paul could have ran away in that moment. But you know what? I believe wholeheartedly that a leader's decision to take sometimes those stones, to take those battles, are, are on the leader so that Paul was actually protecting the, the newborn church that he, he, was, he was loving and, and fathering and mentoring and shepherding in that moment so that they wouldn't get that kind of attack. And that's sometimes what a leader does. They're willing to take those things for those that are with them. Just like David and Eleazar were willing to take this attack. Paul went on preaching the gospel, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I just went through one. I just got stoned from all of these Jewish people that came to to take me out. And when they had appointed elders from there in every church, it says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord, those who had believed. You know, it's amazing that Paul just kept going. He resisted retreating. I mean, I'm telling you, his life was about to be taken from him. But just gets back up, continues on with what God had called him to. Amazing. Amazing. And every day we face different attacks. Paul's days, it was he was he was walking in areas where there's idolatry and paganism. John, John the Apostle, he, he was faced with Gnosticism. Today we're faced with so many different things. There's deconstruction stuff out there. There's all this type of stuff that's going to come and attack what you're learning about here in this school. Don't take it for granted. Build up your faith. Make it solid. Let it be grounded so that you can resist retreating in that day. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sometimes ministry feels like all I'm doing is spinning my wheels. I feel like I'm doing this in vain. But yet, if you continue to persist, if you continue to endure, guess what? God is going to bring the harvest later on. He's going to do it because that's how he works. You keep sowing those good seeds, my friend. Sometimes you just got to roll up your sleeves and you got to keep going after it. Adversity not only tests you, it reveals you. 
it reveals what kind of faith you really have in your life. What kind of person are you? It reveals your metal, if you will. Everything that you go through is preparation for who Christ is making you. Adversity shows you who you really are. We don't always like that. We don't like seeing ourselves in the mirror. We don't like what comes out of us when we're under pressure, under opposition. But that's the reason that God allows adversity in our lives, to show us what's really on the inside, to reveal who we really are. Will I actually trust God in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that battle, or will I falter in my own fears? Listen, that storm will turn into your story. So you keep resisting. There's a story on the other side of that storm that God's going to bring you through. Another thing that, that when you're under attack, you have to identify the enemy. You have to gather intel, if you will. You have to know who it is that's attacking you. Eleazar knew it was the Philistines. It wasn't those who ran away because in that moment, I don't know about you, but if I was Eleazar, I would be thinking to myself, my God, what are these people doing that are supposed to be on my side? They're running away. I want to attack them. Look, they're leaving me all alone right here, right now. And sometimes we've got to identify really who the real enemy is. Instead of battling the real enemy, we make each other the enemy. We make people that are close to us sometimes the enemy. You've got to know where the attack is coming from. In 1947, the CIA was formed. You'll, you'll know um, uh, it, it, they collect intelligence all over the place, including satellite photographs, foreign media, and reports from human resources, all that kind of stuff. And it was a tremendous, tremendous uh, key in the Cold War later on that took place more in the 80s, 70s, and 80s. But the CIA was so vital. And they undoubtedly have led many different ops to collect much information all over the country so that we can, we can stay in front of our enemies. But one story that the CIA website shares is, imagine standing atop the Empire State Building with an eight-foot-wide grappling hook on a one-inch diameter steel rope. Your task is to lower the hook to the street below, snag a compact car full of gold, and lift the car back to the top of the building. On top of that, the job has to be done without anybody noticing. That describes what the, the CIA, CIA did in Project Azorian. In 1974, they built a ship called the Glomer Explorer on secretly to snatch a, a wrecked Soviet submarine from the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. The cover story was that billion, billionaire Howard Hughes was conducting marine research at an extreme ocean depth and mining for manganese nodules lying on the sea bottom. However, news reports in 75 came out exposing the Glomar Explorer and its secret mission. Nevertheless, it was one of the greatest intelligence successes ever, especially of the Cold War. We've got to collect the right intel. We've got to collect the, the right stuff that, that we understand who the enemy really is. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2.1. He says, you were dead in your transgressions, in which you once walked, found the course of this world, found the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen, the world and its systemic um, uh, systems, basically, that they, they, they are, there's enemies in, in the world system. 
Also the spirit or Satan who is at work in those who rebel against Christ. Even our own flesh. Sometimes, man, we got to go to war against our own flesh. So we got to understand who the enemy is. It's our flesh. It's the world system. It's, it's, also, it's also the enemy, Satan himself. These are different things. But I, I want to remind you that you are going to face adversity. Jesus says, blessed are those who hate you for my sake. The last thing that I want to share with you as we get ready to close here is, what do you do when you're under opposition? The last thing is you got to hold on to hope. Just like Eleazar was holding on to that sword, that was his only hope in that battle. Lost that sword, it's done for him, right? You never give up. You fight the temptation that you'll never get out of whatever situation you're in. You believe that Jesus is with you and will not give you something that you cannot win. Holding on to hope leaves no room to hold on to blame. Sure, something's been done to you, but blaming others, blaming God will never get you beyond the battle. And so I've learned something in this 20 years of ministry that the sooner that I can get rid of blame in my life, the, the sooner I can grab hold of that sort of hope again that I can continue to do what God has called me to do. Because guess what? There are going to be some things done to you in your life that you're going to want to blame others for. But that is never the ticket out of the battle. Hope is. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hope keeps you looking for the harvest. It's impossible for you to sow and not reap. Keep holding on to hope. You can't retreat if you're holding on to hope. You can't turn back. You can't keep walling. When you hold on to hope, you hold on to the God who can do the impossible because he's the God of hope. Don't put your hope in, your, in, in, in your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, in your ministry, in your job. I'm telling you, things like that can just change. Don't put your hope in the dreams that you have. Hold on to hope whose name is Jesus. Listen, if the enemy can't defeat you, he will distract you. He will take you out that way. I believe there's some people in this this room that needs hope again. I know we just started the semester and stuff, but man, it's it's January, and the sun isn't out. I mean, we all need some some more hope. And sometimes we're we're looking around us, and man, we we, we don't know where where our money's going to come for this semester. We don't know know what's going to happen back at home. We don't know what's going to happen. LDAs are found hope in the faith of a friend because he wasn't alone. David was with him. I'll close with one little story here, and Dr. Fred's going to like this one, because in the psychology world, there's a term that's called learned helplessness. It was introduced by Martin Seligman. Basically, the findings show that when someone is confronted with a negative situation which they cannot, for, uh, which they cannot control for long, they have no way of getting out of it. Later on, if they are put in the same, same position, same situation with, with a way out, they actually won't choose that way out. Take an elephant, for example. In places like India, they want to teach an elephant and kind of control the elephant as a baby. They, they wrap a chain around their foot, and, and they, they, they tie to something that they just can't get out of. For weeks, that little baby elephant will try to get out of it, try to get out of it, try to get out of it, can't. And so somewhere along the way, as this elephant grows, then they'll simply put a, a rope around it tied to a stake in the ground. Something that an elephant could easily get out of. 
But once it feels that resistance on its leg, they know that they're not going to be able to get out of it, so they don't even try. They don't even try. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You might not always have a ton of faith, but you can have a little bit of hope. And a little bit of hope can get you a long way. And when you have a little bit of hope and you go into the battle with that and you hold on to that hope, similarly to Eliezer holding on to that sword, God can make a victory through you. Romans 8.37 says, says in, in, in all these things, in what things? In tribulation, distress, in persecution, famine, danger, getting attacked, all of those things were more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's already who we are through Christ. You're not just a conqueror, you are more than a conqueror. So that means you're not someone who just conquers and makes it through. You're someone who conquers and lets others come back and gets the spoils, just like Eleazar did. You're more than a conqueror. You made it. You made it out of that neighborhood that you grew up in that tried to keep you tethered to a chain. You made it out of those relationships that kept you under a negative cloud. You made it out of the, that, that, that place in your life, that dark place, so that, guess what? God will bring you back there. Because a conqueror is someone who makes it out, but more than a conqueror is someone who's not afraid to go back in. Not afraid to go back in and take ground, just like Eleazar did, just like David did. So I just want you to stand to your feet right now, and I, I want to pray for you today that you'll have more than conqueror status on your life. And so if you want that, and, and you just want to receive from the Lord today, I just want you to hold up your hands and simply just ask of God. Because you know your weaknesses and you know your downfalls more than anybody else do because we're our own worst critics. But guess what? When you hold on to hope and you don't put down that sword, God can take it. He can take your life and win battles that you never thought you had the stamina to win. God wants to do that through you by his Holy Spirit in your life. You have such a deposit in you, you don't even know what you've got on the inside of you. You don't even know the power of God that is living in your life. So if you just want to be reawakened to some of that today, just put up your hands and say, God, that's what I want. Just say, God, I want to have more than conqueror status. I want more than conquer status from you today, Lord. That the battle that I'm facing, the opposition that I'm facing, Lord Jesus, that I won't run. That, I, that I'll, I'll know that a surprise attack is coming. Because if I want more than conquer status, I've got I've to make sure that I know that there's going to be some opposition against me. So Holy Spirit, today I just ask God for a fresh filling in these students. God, that you would pour in your Holy Spirit. God, they might not even know what you're doing right now in this moment, but they're only going to realize it on the other side of the opposition. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd show them, you'd stir them. God, you'd give them strength. God, you'd help them persevere. God, that you'd pour into their lives, God, a great measure, a great measure, God, beyond what they even thought was in them, God, because the battle isn't so much what they can do in their own strength. The battle is won by your strength and your strength alone. And so God, we just give you praise and we thank you for what you're depositing in us today. And God, let today be just a marker to remember 
for when they do get through the opposition, they're going to remember that more than conqueror status. They're going to remember what you poured into their lives. So we give you all the praise and all the glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. You are awesome in this place. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.